Contractor's journey to self-mastery requires discipline, integrity, and respect. Welcome to Hammer and Grind. Welcome back to another episode. I am very excited today. I have a very special guest with me today, and it's going to be uh, we're going to have some great conversations. I have Brian Will with me today to talk about some some very uh, sales and mindset oriented stuff. Brian, thanks for being on the show. Brad, I appreciate you having me on Hammer and Grind. I'm excited to be here today. This will be fun. Awesome. Let's uh, let's. I like to start. Just give me a little bit of a background. I know you've owned multiple businesses. You do a lot of sales and negotiation type stuff. Give us a little intro into who Brian is and and you know where you're at now. You know, Brad, I I like to tell people I'm one of the most unconventionally educated guys in business I've ever met. I uh, I'm the guy who failed out of high school at 16, um, managed to graduate, but with like a D plus average. Got kicked out of the house. Had to join the military. I know you were in the Marine, uh, were in the Marine Corps. I did four years Air Force, four years Army. Got off active duty. Tried to hold a job, couldn't get one. Kept getting fired. So decided to start my own business. And I went into the landscaping business because at the time I was 21 and figured anybody could mow grass and dig holes. And uh, built that company up to about seven franchise locations over eight years. And as I like to say, it did really well until it didn't. And that one collapsed fell apart on me. Lots of good lessons in that first big failure. And then went on after that, uh, transitioned to the insurance industry, built a company I sold to a, to a venture capital firm, uh, started another company. We sold to another venture capital firm, another one we sold to a private equity firm, went into consulting and sales and management with fortune 500 companies. I wrote three books. I got into politics. I, uh, became a pilot dive master. I've pretty much done everything people say they're going to do and they never actually do. So it's been, kind of been my journey. That's awesome. Now, now you got my ears perked because like everything <laughs> you've talked about are things I've either wanted to do or been down the same road. So uh, you got me, you got me started right from the get go. Uh, I want to, you, you mentioned about your landscaping business collapsing. Can you share a little bit about that? Like what was that, what happened with that? Not specifics, but what, you know, what, what went on with that? Yep. So I, I got started when I was 21. I was in the National Army National Guard at the time and uh, no clue what I was doing. Like the title of my book is How to Succeed with No Money, No Education, and No Clue. And that was exactly me. I didn't know what I was doing. Nobody was helping me. I didn't have any money. But I just went out and I figured it out and I did it and I struggled. And and, and the, the first challenge I had, and I see this with a lot of young entrepreneurs, is as I started becoming more successful and my income started moving up, I moved my lifestyle up at about 110% of my income. So I was always 10% behind the eight ball. And the problem was when I got to, I was thinking I was 28 or 29 at the time. And the two mistakes I made is that I had one uh, client who represented about 80% of our business. It was a, it was a multifamily commercial installation company, building apartment complexes all over the Southeast. And we were the landscape company and I was doing, you know, six or seven projects at a time. And you know, I thought we were good. The problem was they ended up hiring a new VP of, of, uh, of contracting and he had a son who was a landscaper. And so he fired me and he hired his son to be the landscape contractor for all these projects. Well, in the commercial space, I don't know how it is today, but back then when they fire you, 
they also hold your money because you have a six month warranty guarantee on everything you've done. So in their mind, we're just not going to pay you for six months. Well, the problem was <laughs> I had an infrastructure, resources, equipment, loans, cars, houses. I had all this infrastructure to support this multi-million dollar company. And when they stopped paying me, I didn't have any financial resources. I didn't have any savings. I didn't have any cash. Mm -hmm. And I didn't even have any other customers. And when they withheld that money, I mean, I bounced 130 checks in one month. The bank shut my accounts down. My vendors all sued me because I couldn't pay them. I literally had to sell every single thing I owned in this world right down to my furniture to get enough cash to pay people off so that I could be broke and start over again. I like to tell the story. I, I sold all my furniture. Christmas comes. I've got a wife and a, and a, a two or three-year-old daughter at the time. My mother comes to visit and she's like, there's no place to sit. Where's your furniture? And I'm like, mom, I had to sell it. I mean, I got a three-year-old. I got no business. I got no money. Everybody wants, everybody in the world's got their hand in my pocket right now. I'm broke. So she goes out and she says, well, for Christmas, I'm going to buy you furniture. So she bought us furniture for Christmas. They went home and guess what I did? Sold it. I sold the furniture because I had to have money. I didn't need a place to sit. I had to feed my kid, right? So two things we learned, never, ever, ever get so deep into one client that if they fire you, your entire world can fall apart. Because if that's what you've got, you don't have a business, you have a job. You have a job with an enormous liability that has the ability to take you out. And second, always, always, always have enough cash reserves set aside, some financial backing, so that if something happens to you, again, you can't be taken out at the drop of a hat. And those, I carried those lessons with me for the rest of my life uh, and everything I've ever done. So two big lessons that probably it needed to happen for me, um, for me to learn what I needed to learn. I mean, we, we could end the podcast right there and that would be like a masterclass. And <laughs> I mean, some of the two most powerful <laughs> lessons that you would need. I mean, you, you, uh, it's funny because I just made a post today in my, in my Facebook group. It's uh, the average uh, annual salary of a Louis Vuitton, Louis Vuitton purchaser is $60,000. So the people <laughs> are always trying to look like they have money. And that kind of like you were saying, yeah. you were 110% over where you were at, always raising your lifestyle. That's such a valuable yeah. lesson um, to keep your costs low while you're building up that piggy bank. Um, yeah, that's, that's some gold right there. I call it building blocks, building blocks of lifestyle, right? You build a, get a building block of lifestyle. You get a business that will support it. And then you secure that building block so that it can't be taken away mm -hmm. by putting cash and investments aside. Then you, ex you go to the next level. And if you will follow that pattern of building blocks over time, then you can never get hurt. I got to tell you, one of the things that scares me the most today is losing everything again. That, I mean, that like, that's the, if you say what wakes you up in the middle of the night, that wakes me up in the middle of the night. I, I never want to be put back in a position like that again. It was horrible. I can imagine. I mean, like you hear about the rags, the riches to rag stories and, you know, and some people never recover from that. You know, they, they have the, well, throw in the fact that I found out at the same time, my daughter needed open heart oh, surgery. Wow. And because I had gone, I had lost all my money. I skipped making my health insurance payments for three months. Oh, man. And then we find out she needs open heart surgery. And now I have no insurance. So just, you know, to pile on, you know, I mean, my entire world was falling apart at the time. Um, I will tell you this though, Brad, as I look back at my life and we call this connecting the dots backwards, every bad thing that's ever happened to me turned into something good. And I can take those experiences and show you 
how they made me a better person, my business is better, my family, everything has turned into something better. Uh, because I learned from the negative and I learned from the failure, which by the way, a lot of people don't do. One of my classic statements is failure is not the key to success. Learning from failure is the key to success. And if you will learn from that failure and take that to the next business or the next opportunity, that's how you build and grow and become better and more successful. This is, this is such good stuff here because we've heard like fail fast, you know, fail forward, fail. If you want to increase yeah, the, I cringe when I hear that. <laughs> well, why, why is that? What makes you say that? Because failure leads to failure. Mm. Let me ask you something. Do you know anybody, Brad, in your life that it seems like everything they touch turns to gold? Like they do something you're like, holy crap, that guy just, do you also know people that everything they touch seems to fall apart and they can't win to save their yep. life? That's because the people that can't win never learned from the last failure. That failure didn't make them successful. It led to the next failure because they didn't damn learn. Success is about learning from failures, right. not about the failure itself. You don't fail fast. Failure leads to failure leads to failure. Learning from the failure so you don't make that mistake again. Then you learn from the next failure so you don't make that mistake again. And eventually you will learn enough lessons that you'll be successful in whatever, whatever it is you do. But it's the learning that people miss out on. They think, oh, I'm just going to fail and it's going to be awesome. No, it's going to suck. That, I mean, that's a great clarification. That's that's the uh, asterisk next to it of like, yeah, you fail, but make sure you learn from that. There's a saying. There's you learn. a saying. Post failure analysis. Yeah, and there's a saying I love. It's like if you don't learn uh, lesson the first time, it just keeps getting harder and harder and harder every time. Boom. That's why failure doesn't lead to success. Failure leads to failure. Yeah. Learning from failure leads to success. And you can obviously, and we can probably get into this a little bit later, but you can shortcut the failure process by finding mentors and finding, you know, oh consultants my and coaches and all that stuff. I look, if there's a hundred lessons from where you are to where you want to be, if there's a hundred, maybe there's 50 for you because you're super smart and you have money and you have backing and you have the right parents. And, but there's a set of lessons you're going to have to learn. You're either going to learn them personally, which means fail, learn, fail, learn, fail, learn, fail, learn, or you're going to hire a coach or a mentor who has already made those mistakes who can say, Brad, don't do that. That's not going to work. Okay. I did that. This is what's going to happen. Then I did this and that worked. If you will do what I tell you, you will avoid and skip all those mistakes, avoid and skip all those learning lessons and, it, and, and significantly accelerate your time to success. But people say, oh, I, I had a guy say, well, I, I can't afford it. I'm like, Oh, but you can afford to fail for the next two years, right? I mean, that doesn't even make any sense if you think about it. No, that's that's one of the most, that's probably the biggest challenge I have with with talking with contractors is it's not an invest, it's not an expense, right? Like getting coaching, buying right. a course, even buying a book, spending $12, $20 on a book, that's not an expense, that's an investment. And every time you learn yep. something new, you're shortcutting that process, that failure process. Here's the key though. Yeah. The people that buy the book and take the course and get the mentor are going to succeed. The ones that don't will not 100% of the time. I remember the first time, and I've told this story before, but the first time I was looking into getting coaching, this was nine years into my construction business. I wasn't as smart as you, Brian. I didn't, I didn't grow fast enough. Um, I thought I could figure it all out on my own. <laughs> but nine years in, I was finally like, you know what? This isn't working. Something's got to give. And I looked for some coaching. I found this course. I found this guy that was doing like a two hour marketing course. You know, you pay some money and then you jump on a zoom call and it was $67 was the cost for this zoom call. 
and I'm like, this this sixty seven dollars better be worth it. Like this guy better deliver because this is a <laughs> lot of money. Like I remember <laughs> you know, having that conversation in my head, and then that sixty seven dollars I've spent you know way 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 more than that since then. But that was the catalyst. Like I mean, just this year. What's that? In everything I've done, I paid in just this year, and everything that I have done in my in my past, and I've I've done a lot. I paid one guy five grand for a day, another guy four grand for a day, another guy fifteen hundred for a day. I joined another course for thirty five thousand. I joined another course for four thousand. Even coaches have coaches. Absolutely. You know, Tim Cook runs Apple. I have an Apple phone. He has a coach. Nobody knows that. In fact, if you ever run into a guy named Dave Meltzer. Dave is a CEO coach to three of the Fortune 50 CEOs in this country. So the guys running billion-dollar companies have coaches. And here we are as young entrepreneurs thinking, I'm going to do it all myself when the smartest people out there have a coach. <laughs> You're singing to the choir here. I mean, I, I, I agree with you 100%. I'm, I'm getting ready uh, first after the first year to join a $20,000 mastermind just because of, you know, mm -hmm. I, I know the value of what that's done for me and my business. But I want to shift gears a little bit because – one of the things that you uh, talk about and in and, and one of your books is talking about sales and negotiation skills. So roll us into that. Like what, what's yep. so important about sales and negotiation that we need to know about? Look, sales makes the world go round. I don't care how good your product is or what you're selling. If somebody doesn't sell it, you don't have a business, right? I spent some time in Silicon Valley when I did a couple sales, a couple companies we, we sold and I'd go meet these engineers out there and these are the smartest guys you've ever met in your life. And they're like, oh, engineers, are, you're the, they're the future. They're the smartest people out there. And I'm like, yeah, well, if nobody sells your damn software, you're just a guy sitting in the basement, right? Sales is everything. And if you're going to start any business of any kind, either you better be able to sell or you better bring somebody in who can sell because otherwise nothing gets sold and you're not in business. And I love this example I use all the time. It's my Joe the Plumber example. It goes throughout all my books. Joe's a plumber works for XYZ company. They bail him out at $150 an hour. Joe's making 50. 10 years in, Joe's like, what am I doing working, making 50 when they're making 150? I'm going to start my own business. So he starts Joe's plumbing. If Joe's plumbing fails, it will not be because Joe doesn't know how to be a plumber. It will be because Joe doesn't know how to run a business or sell. Because I don't care how good you are. If somebody's not selling it, you're not doing any work and you're not making any money. So when I wrote my second book, it was about the mentality of running your business or starting your business. And the third book is all about sales, right? Because you need to either know how to sell or bring somebody in who can. And sales is super, super duper important. So what do you, this is, this is, I mean, this, this can go way deep into the weeds on this, but one of the, and you being in the trades as well with landscaping, one of the, the most common theme or response I get or mindset really from with contractors is, well, it's, it's all about the quality, right? It's all about the quality of the product that I deliver. And that's mm -hmm. what's going to allow yeah. me to sell mm -hmm. all these jobs. What do you say mm -hmm. to people that say mm -hmm. that or think that? I bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Can I say sure. that on your podcast? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Look, I own a chain of restaurants today. You know, restaurants fail at twice the rate of normal businesses. And do you know why? Most restaurants are started by chefs. Mm -hmm. They know how to cook but they don't know how to run a business. I have people that work for me that know how to run restaurants, but if I put them in charge of my overall company, we would fail. Running a business and knowing how to cook have nothing to do with each other. 
And the quality of your work has nothing to do with whether people are going to buy it or not. I'm sorry to tell you this, but if you if you are a, a landscaper or a welder or a const- you are in a commodity type of business, meaning there are at least 50 other people out there that are doing the exact same thing you are. The difference between you and them is not how good your work is. It's how good your marketing and sales is so that you can get in front of a customer to show them how good your quality of work is. Until you get in front of them, you're just like anybody else. And me telling you on the phone, oh, I do better quality than the next guy. That's what everybody says. Nobody believes you when you say that. You've got to have some kind of marketing to get you out there. Then you've got to have some sales ability to show them and convince them that the quality of your work is better. But if you're just pushing a commodity, so is everybody else. You're never going to scale a business if you are just a commodity person. Because there's 50 other people that are either going to come in behind you with the same product or they're going to do what we call chase to the bottom and they're going to undercut you in price. And they will be out of business in three years, but the problem is you might want to try to chase them down that price rabbit hole and you'll end up putting yourself out of business. Why are you competing with people who are going to go out of business in two years, right? Don't do that. So your quality is better, but the flip side of that is you've got to get in front of somebody, which is marketing and sales. Without the marketing and sales, the quality means nothing. I agree with you 100% on that. Um, and, and a lot of that is they... The, the quality, if, if you post on social media, like look at this kitchen remodel that we did, that might get some eyeballs. Like somebody who's, who sees that, who wants a kitchen remodel, they're, they're going to get some eyeballs. That might make them look into you. It might make them go to your website. It might make them call you. But now you start to af- you actually have to sell what you're doing, right? The, the, I always say the, the quality may get the phone to ring, but it's not going to make the sale for you. If you're a completely incompetent nope. person, like they're not going to hire you no matter how good your quality is. That's correct. And then by the way, once it goes past that, you better have priced everything out properly. You better have the right percentages of labor and cogs costs. You better understand your overhead. You ever seen a five-star restaurant go out of business all the time, mm-hmm. just because they were really, really good at what they did does not mean they're going to stay in business. They did not know how to run a business properly. So Quality is one thing. Sales and marketing is another. And the final piece is you better understand how to run the business end of your business if you're going to succeed long term. There are three parts to that equation. If you only have one of them, let's say I'm great at running a business, but I suck at sales and marketing. My product sucks. You're not going to make it. You have great product, but you're terrible at sales and marketing and you're going to bankrupt your company. You're not going to make it, right? You got to have all three pieces of that puzzle in order for you to succeed long term at a high enough level for this to be worth your time worth your time. So it's definitely the whole picture. I agree with you hundred percent. So when it comes to sales, like what, what do specifically contractors, like what do we need to know to, to figure out? I mean, obviously that we can get your book and learn more about what Mm -hmm. services and stuff that you have, but like what, what are like three things that we really need to understand about sales? So the first thing you understand is that your client is interested in falling in love. They're not interested in your product. That's a weird thing to say, isn't it? And I love using car lot examples when I talk about sales because it's such an extreme example that everybody understands it, right? When you go to a car lot, what are the, what are you looking for? You're looking for a brand name. You're looking for a color. You're looking for leather or, or uh, cloth, standard or automatic. That's what you're looking for. When you go into the car lot, does a salesperson hand you a sales manual and say, hey, I need you to read the auto, the salesman or the uh, owner's manual on this car before we take it out for a drive? 
No, he doesn't. That'd be dumb. And yet a lot of people that want to go and sell their product want to drown people in information that these people aren't really interested in just yet. They want to tell them all kinds of things that mean nothing. The second thing is too many people go in there and this gets right back to the sales manual. They just want to talk, 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 talk. When what they need to be doing is asking questions, finding out what the person's looking for, why they're looking for it. That's the biggest thing. When they're looking for it, if they have shopped with somebody else, and if they have who, why didn't they buy from that person? All I, My entire sales process is about asking you questions. Because if I can ask you the right questions and get the right answers, you will sell yourself. I don't even have to do it. If you're selling me landscaping and I say, look, my I need landscaping. Why? Well, because I don't like the way the front of my yard looks. What's wrong with it? Well, I don't like this and I don't like that and I don't like that. So you need to get all that changed. Yes. Well, when are you looking to do this? Well, I'm looking to do it right now or I'm looking to do it in a week. Well, have you shopped with anybody else? Yes, I've gotten two other quotes. Why didn't you go with them? One of them was expensive. How much was expensive? It's $5,000. Okay, well, I'm going to quote under $5,000. I just did a reel on this yesterday, interestingly enough. Uh, what is it about the plan that you liked and what didn't you like? Well, I liked this and this and I didn't like that and that. Gosh, now I know what I should sell them because I know what they like. Do you have anything in mind that you're thinking about from a plant perspective or a tree perspective? Well, I was thinking I like this, this, and this. Now I'm going to put a plan together based on what they want. Selling is about asking questions and building in your mind what you're about to sell them or what they're about to buy because you're going to resell them everything they just told you they wanted. And that's a really deep subject and it's tough to get into in, you know, two minutes. But the key to selling is asking questions. What, when, why? Who have they shopped with? Why didn't they buy? Answer those questions and you can sell them almost anything. And again, I agree with everything you said there. I, I'm curious though on the kind of using that example of like the, you said that they got a price of $5,000 and you could sell, you know, you needed to sell under that. Is that, is that a, is that what you would typically do is like try to stay underneath that uh, amount? But, you know, obviously what if you're, what if your cost so $10,000 for the exact same work? So we do that. We call ang we this is called angering, right? So I, I actually did a real last night. So I was buying an equipment package by the, this is a true story. I went to a vendor. I said, I need to buy this equipment package and it's a $180,000 package. I've already priced it out. They came back with 450,000. Okay. But, <laughs> you, you, and you just, you look at it and you're like, well, I'm sorry, are you smoking crack? I don't understand why you just sent me this. Yeah. I told you 180. So they sent it back to me the next day at 250. Well, I, <laughs> First of all, first of all, you're still 70,000 high. And second of all, you just knocked 200 grand off your price. I no longer believe anything you're going right. to tell me. So they're out, right? So I go to the second vendor. I tell them 180. They came in at 200. It was close. The third vendor came in at 180. So what I'll typically do, if it, you're talking the exact same thing, if I say, if you shop with anybody else and they say, yeah, I did. It was XYZ. It was $5,000 and I can't do it. Then I would tell them right then and there. Well, I got to be very honest with you. The range of price on the products that you're looking for are going to run anywhere between 7000 and 15000 from low end to high end. Now, is that something you'd be interested in talking about or do you want to go ahead and stick with your $5,000 price? That's, by the way, how you figure out if they lied to you. Again, we're getting into some deep sales techniques here. But I will give them a range of price and then allow them to tell me if that's within their budget. If they say, yeah, it is, then I know they lied about the first thing. And I say, okay, great. Well, between seven and 15000 where do you think you want to fall? The low end, the median, or the high. They'll always say medium. That's just the way it's going to work. And then you have a range to work with when you're doing your 
your landscaping or your, uh, your bidding process. So again, real tough to get into a lot of these technicalities because there's so much to talk about there, but uh, it was a good point. Yeah. And those are, I mean, we, that's pretty much on point with the sales training that I do is, is um, giving them a, a ballpark, you know, high anchor, low it, mm-hmm. um, all that. Yep. Do you, I'm just curious on your take, what's your thoughts on asking the client for their budget? I don't. Let me go back to my car example. Um, well, did you ever been on a car lot and bought a car? Yes. Okay. Almost everybody has. A long time ago. And when the salesman comes out, when the salesman comes out and says, what's your budget? Do you tell him the truth? No. no. And do you tell him a high number? No. <laughs> Definitely not. No. Okay. So, so I already know you're going to lie to me and I already know you're going to lie low. Yep. So why would I ask you a question if I know you're going to lie? This gets back to what I said before, right? I would come in right out of the gate and say, hey, it looks good. What's your, you've told me everything you want. You've told me why you want it. You've told me when you want it. You've t- Let me just throw out here that our solar panels run between $8,000 and $15,000. I'm not asking you what your budget is. I'm telling you what my range right. is. Does that fit in your budget? Yes or no? And they say, well, yes. Perfect. Do you want me to start at the 7000 mark, the 10000 mark, or the 15000 mark? Because I don't want to have to explain 50 different things to you. Where do you want me to go? And they'll probably, oh, I could probably do the eight or 9,000 range. Okay, great. Now we have uh, something to work with. You ask them their budget, they're going to lie. So you give them the budget range. That's, yeah. I always say you give them your number to get their number. Like your, your yeah, ballpark. But number. I do a range yeah, you, as opposed. Yeah, yes, that's exactly yeah, not, right. Not an exact number. We're not trying to get it down to the penny, you know, especially if we're having right. a, a pre-sale phone conversation. Hey, just a quick timeout from the show. In the next 30 seconds, I'm going to tell you exactly how you can transform your contracting business. Imagine being part of a community of winners where you can find out exactly what they've done to be successful. That's exactly what you get when you join the Profit Club. But it's not just a community. You get lifetime access to all of my course-related material, including all future material that I add. But wait, there's more. Each week, you'll get access to three group coaching calls to talk about sales, marketing, and business problems and answer any questions that you may have. Still not convinced? How about personalized one-on-one coaching to help you overcome your limits? And here's my promise to you. I guarantee you will double your investment within 90 days or I personally will work with you one-on-one until you do. So don't wait. Elevate your game with the Profit Club today. Now let's get back to the show. Awesome. So, okay. But let me ask you something, Brad. And, and I teach this too, right? If the person comes back and I say my range is seven to ten, seven to 15,000 and they go, well, I've only got 5,000 to spend. Are you going to continue working with them? Well, if I'm being honest, maybe because uh, they may need to realign their reality or realign their beliefs with reality. And this happened to me. Fair. On an actual car, car Fair. purchasing it's funny you mentioned cars because my wife and I were going to go buy a used car. <laughs> we had a budget. By the end of the whole thing, we spent double our budget. Okay. So here's how you get around that issue, right? So my first reaction is, and I, almost any situation, people have a close rate that they're supposed to target and whatever it is they're selling, right? Whatever I'm selling, my target close rate is 30% or 40. Let's call it 40%. That means 60% of the people you talk to aren't going right. to buy. So you need to understand that right out of the gate, not waste your time on the no's. So you have more time to spend on the yeses. But if you do that and you say, my, my range is eight to 15 and they go, well, I'm really looking for five. And I said this a minute ago, I'd say, well, I got to be very honest with you. I can't do it for five. 
my low end is seven. So if we can work with the seven or seven to eight, we've got something we can work with. I can help you. But if not, I, I, there's nothing I can help you with. And then they're going to go, no, I really can't do that. Or, okay, yeah, I can probably get up to seven or eight. And then we proceed from that right. point forward. But I will try to knock them out if they've, you're trying to super lowball me. Yeah, I mean, the, the whole, you're pre-qualifying the bad ones, essentially. Yes. And, and then working yep. exclusively with the ones that are either really good or on the line of potentially being good or potentially being bad. And I tell sales managers, how much time do you want your salespeople to spend on clients who aren't going to buy? Well, they don't want them to spend any time. All right, well, let's identify what a no is and let's get that right out of the gate. I don't want to go through a 25-minute sales process to get to the end of the line after I spent all this time with you that to then tell you it's going to be $8,000 and you go, well, I can only afford five. Right. Well, I've just wasted 25 minutes or an hour or a day. Yeah. Right? So that's one of the first things we knock out. Let me ask you this. What's your thoughts on charging for, for contractors, charging for doing estimates or consultations? Pro or con? I mean, in today's day and age, again, I own a chain of restaurants. I can't get my electrician, my plumber, my AC guy, my refrigerator. Nobody comes in my door without $150 prepay. Nobody. Unless I have a long-term contract with them. But sure. pretty much they all do it. So definitely a good idea then, you would say. I, I mean, as a person who's spending it, I think it's a terrible idea. <laughs> but as a contractor, I think it's a great idea. <laughs> yeah, I get that. So, okay, so what's the difference between sales and negotiation? Nothing, really. Every sale is a negotiation. Every negotiation is a sale. Sales is, look, you're selling, you sold your wife on marrying you. You sell your kids on going to bed early. You sell, everything you do in life is about sales or negotiation. So that's why I say in the book, every sale is a negotiation. Um, they're one and the same, quite frankly. Gotcha. Okay. I, you know, I just didn't know sometimes people have a little bit of a different uh, opinion on what those are. Do you think that... Uh, when I hear negotiation, I think like, oh, you know, I'll do it for a hundred. No, I'll do it for 80. I'll, you know, will you take 70 and like this back and forth? Sure. But I'm trying to sell you on my price. Is there ever a time you're for trying you to sell me on yours? Is there ever a time for you to negotiate like off your price? Or are you, are you kind of like one of those stand firm guys? No. So I, I have a couple of rules in negotiation. And one of them is that I don't get emotionally involved or attached in whatever it is I'm buying or selling. And if I am, I have somebody else do the negotiation because uh, emotion will sink you almost every time. Second is I'm willing to walk away from any deal because I know there's another deal right around the corner. Deals are a dime a dozen. I'm not, if I walk on this one, I'm, it's fine. Third is you'd be surprised how many of those deals come back to you. And let me give you an example. So let's say that you're selling me something for $100, Brad, and I've offered you 80. And we spend 10 minutes together and we're down to 85 bucks. And I said, no, I'm sticking with 80. And you're like, no, I want 85. I'm going to walk away. I'm going to do that for two reasons. Number one, I'm going to see if I can instill the fear of loss in you because you've already come down to 85. You've probably already spent the money, right? You're already figuring out where it's going to go. And I'm about to walk away and you're thinking, well, shit, for $5, I, this is crazy for me not to take his deal, but I, as a buyer, am going to walk away because I know my very worst case scenario is I'm going to call you back in 30 minutes and I'm going to give you 85 bucks mm. because I know I can get it for that. Now, I, I, here's my funny, my funny store example on this. My buddy worked for a big law firm and they had uh, an owner suite at one of the football teams. I can't tell you. And when the Super Bowl came to town, he got two Super Bowl tickets to the suite out in 
uh, Arizona. So we got these two tickets uh, to go to the Super Bowl. I have a couple million frequent flyer miles, so we flew out to Arizona for free on me, and he provided the two tickets. Well, we get there. Neither one of our teams were in it, and I was supposed to go to China the next day to visit my daughter, so I was stressed about the China trip, and he wasn't feeling good. And we get to our hotel room, we walk in, and there's, there's a slip under the door that says, we'll buy your tickets for any amount of money. <laughs> Bill says, let's sell the tickets. And I'm like, let's do it. So I call the guy up, and he says, he goes, well, how much do you want? And my buddy Bill's over there. He's on the uh, computer going, they're going for 12000 on StubHub. I said, $12,000. The guy goes, I'll give you 10000 I said, nope, we're already here. We'll just go to the game. Thanks, hung up. My buddy Bill's like, you just turned $10,000 for two free tickets? I said, he's going to call us back. He's like, he better call back. So he calls back in 10 minutes. I was like, hey, call him back. I'll give you 11000 I said, no, 12000 He says, all right, I'll give you 12000 I said, great, meet us outside at the, at the outside the hotel. I go out there to meet him. This is a, I swear to God, this is a true story. Guy shows up, he goes, I only have 11000 He was trying to get me on the fear of loss because he's got 11000 cash in his hands. I said, yeah, I'm not interested. Uh, I'll just go to the game tomorrow. I walk back in the hotel. My buddy Bill's like, are you out of your freaking mind? I'm like, Bill, he's going to call back. He goes, he better call back. Are you owe me $5,500 for that ticket? Ten minutes later, a guy calls back. He goes, I got $12,000. I said, if you don't have it, you're not going to take it. He goes, I got $12,000. Guy shows up ten minutes later, gives us our $12,000. He walks away with our tickets. I got a flight back home. We went home and watched it on TV. He was trying to get me on the fear of loss, but I was willing to walk away from his deal knowing he would come back. So we played a game. You know, he was a good negotiator, but so was I. But that's just a game. I was willing to walk away. He was trying to play the fear of loss. At the end of the day, I won that one. Could have gone either way. I might have watched the game the next day, but most of the time that was I wins. would say you had most of the leverage in that, in that negotiation. <laughs> <laughs> I had the tickets. <laughs> I'm more interested in how the guy knew you were there and how he slipped the paper. Did he do every hotel room in that hotel or? I, yeah, they must've had a deal with a hotel. Cause it, there was a, there was a slip under every yeah, door okay. uh, in the hotel. <laughs> that's a good story. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, you, it, I, I think that goes to the saying of like, sell like you're independently wealthy and you don't need the business, right? Like, obviously you can yeah. walk away. What about if you do need the business? Like this, you do need this work. Is there, is that, does that change the dynamic? Then you need to have somebody else do the negotiation. Yeah. So either somebody else needs to do it or, you know, I have this saying that people can only think, uh, emotionally or mm. intellectually I like that. at the same time. You can't think both emotionally and intellectually at the same time. You can't. Whatever decision you're making is either an emotional decision or it's an intellectual decision. And the problem is most people operate in an emotional state, and that's why they make bad decisions. The best negotiators, if you see them, they're like cool hand Luke, man. Nothing bothers them. It's just like, whatever, this is the deal. That's because they're operating intellectually. So if you if you desperately need that business and you're in that negotiation, right? hey, if you need it, take it. But at some point you need to stop yourself and go, listen, I got to, I got to self-analyze here. Is this an emotional decision or an intellectual decision? And as hard as it may be, you need to go to the intellectual side uh, before you pull the trigger on things. Again, if you need the money. It almost got me. Um, Brian went out, we went on a, my wife and my family went on a cruise last week before Christmas. And of course on the cruise ships, they have discounts on all of the, uh, you know, watches and mm -hmm. jewelry. And 
they had some watches there, seventy five percent off, duty free, and I'm like, I think I might gonna, I think I might buy a watch. <laughs> and for like three days in a row, I'm like walking by, looking at them, and finally, I was like, I don't, I don't need a stinking watch. Yeah, that's it the was game. purely an emotional, you know, reaction to it. And so, yeah, I mean, even even people that know about it can yep. be duped into making decisions like that. Yep. And, and again, I, I am not the Dave Ramsey, you need to suffer and don't buy coffee and don't ever go to Starbucks because I go to Starbucks five or six times a week, right? I'm not that guy. You need to have some fun and enjoy life sure. and do things. And if you need the money, take the job. But if you're in a position where you have the ability to to negotiate and, do, and you know, really play the negotiation game, then learn how to do it and play it. At the end of the day, you'll ultimately be better off. Yeah. I like the saying too, that, you know, people buy based on emotion and they use logic to justify the purchase, but it's on the back end, <laughs> right? They emotionally made the purchase yeah, and then it's yeah. like, well, I needed that convertible though, because that convertible is going to yes. make me feel good. And this and this and this, I'm like, no one needs a convertible. Yep. <laughs> so awesome. So let's move on real quick to, <laughs> or not quick. We got some time here. I want to talk about the role of mindset in business. How important is mindset? How how important has it been in your journey, uh, you know, for you uh, to to get to where you are now? So again, uh, in my second book, which is the Dropout Multimillionaire, I talk about your personal filter, and I go back and ask that question I asked a little bit ago. Do you know somebody who's always succeeded at everything they do, and somebody who fails at everything they do? And then the question I usually ask is, Brad, do you know the difference between me and you? And let's say. Elon Musk and Bill Gates. You know what the difference is between us? I don't. We're all four men. The only difference is the way they think versus the way we think. That's it. They think at a completely different level than we do. And it's not that they're super geniuses. If you've ever read Malcolm Gladwell uh, in his book called the, the Outliers, it's just that they think differently. They've learned to think differently. They've exposed themselves to different things. And it's caused them to think in a way that allows them to achieve at the level they achieve. By the way, back to coaching and mind, uh, coaching and mentors. And I also like to say that the only difference between you today and you five years from now, so I say, tell me what you want. Tell me where you want to be. Tell me what your wife look, life looks like in five years, not your wife, your life. What does your life look like in five years? And I will tell you the, the difference between you today and you five years from now is the books you read, the people you associate with, the podcasts you listen to, and the information you put in your head. That's the difference. If you're hanging out with drug dealers, you'll be a drug dealer. If you're hanging out with multimillionaires, chances are you're going to find a way to get into a deal to make a million dollars. That's just, that's the reality of it. So that personal filter, by the way, is a product of every bit of information that's ever gone in your head. From the time you were born, your parents told you things that came from their parents and their education. And then you went to school and your teacher started telling you things that came from their education, their parents and their friends. The kids you played with that started peer pressuring you, telling you the way you should think that came from their parents, their teachers, and their friends. All the way through high school and college, your professors, you get a job, the people you work for, you get married, your wife tells you what to do. Everybody in your life, and that, that, that creates billions and billions of contact points, has pushed information into your head. And it's created this filter that's in your subconscious. And that filter accepts and rejects information as it comes at you in real time without you ever thinking about it. Another book by Malcolm Gladwell is called Blink. So your brain is accepting and rejecting information. And some people are listening to this right now and they're going, this guy's full of crap. And some people are going, holy crap, I've never thought of that. But that filter is, is, is helping you make decisions on what you're going to do next based on all the information that's been coming at you for every minute of your life. 
And if we get back to fail, 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 if all you've ever done is fail, then all your brain knows how to do is fail. It doesn't know how to be successful and it's not making successful decisions. If you've had success after success after success, it's taking that information and measuring against the successes you've already had and helping you make decisions that will make you successful on the next thing you do. If you've never succeeded, then you don't know how to succeed. I'm sorry, but you don't. You can guess all day long, but all you're doing is guessing. So if you've never had success, you don't know how. And if you don't know how, then you need to find somebody who does and have them help you make those decisions based on their success filter. And if you wanna overcome all that negative or loss or whatever it is in your head, you gotta overwhelm your, your personal filter with information, overwhelm it with books, podcasts, association, hanging out with the right people, and you will become the information that you put in there. Too many people don't get that. Well, I don't feel like reading. Okay, well, <laughs> don't expect anything to ever change. Like, I don't know what to tell you. We go to college for four years to read books to be a better person. You didn't go to college? Fine. I, got a, I didn't either. I failed out of high school. I got probably 300 books on my bookshelf. My daughter's like, Daddy, you have a lot of books. I said, Honey, those aren't books. That's my brain. Literally everything I think has come out of those books. If you read my books, they're a combination of Robert Kiyosaki and, and, and the E-Myth and, and uh, uh, Malcolm Gladwell and, you know, uh, Napoleon Hill. And it's everything I think is, is a product of everything I've stuck in there. And that's why I, I seem to think that I'm successful. Yeah, I mean, a lot of, a lot of the information, there, there's not really new information today. A lot of it is old information repackaged yeah. presented in a different way. It's like music. There's only seven chords. Yeah. Every song ever written is one of seven chords right. put together in a different way, right. you know, but it's still like, you know, and you know, I, I, cause I, I, I'm a big audible fan. I love audible. I don't like reading physical books. I'll listen to an audible book. If I love it, I'll go buy the physical copy because it's easier to reference stuff, mm -hmm. you know? Um, but I've, I've bought books that aren't very good and you just either stop mm -hmm. reading them or you grind through it, try to take some value out of it, and then go on to the next book. Because your brain is rejecting the information based on everything else that's been in there. What's more funny is when you reject a book and pick it up five years later and go, holy crap, this is really good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and because your brain wasn't ready. I did that the first time I read, I think it was Master Key to Riches by Napoleon Hill. I like was Xing out chapters like this guy's full. He's like, he's a terrible person. And then 10 years later, I'm like, oh, my God, this thing's right on the money because I wasn't ready for it. Well, and yeah, because you also sometimes will have certain biases that you go in and it's like, you know, I, I have certain beliefs around my faith and religion. And I'll read a book mm -hmm. that talks in there heavily about other religions and other beliefs. Like, I don't just discredit the information. I could just say like, oh, OK, that I don't I don't necessarily agree with that part. But the other 80 percent that's in there is value. And being able to, die, you know, pick and choose what's really going to be appropriate. Do you, do you ever do that too? I can tell you, Napoleon, I think it's Napoleon Hill's book um, where he talks about the mastermind. First time I'd ever heard of mastermind was in a book. And I was probably 20. So we're talking 38 years ago. And I, the entire mastermind chapter, I took a black marker and just marked it out because he's talking about dead people and talking to Abraham Lincoln. And I was like, <laughs> this guy is so far out in left field. The rest of the book was awesome, but that one chapter I couldn't deal with. And today I understand the concept of the mastermind when I didn't understand it then. Back then I just thought he was sitting in his room talking to dead people. 
So it sounds like you've, and I agree with this, like we, we're going to be at different points in our life at, you know, five years from now, 10 years from now, and information is going to hit us differently. So it sounds like you're saying we got to be completely open-minded to the information that we're receiving, but how do you know which, what's good information and what's bad information? Because sometimes bad information is, is wrapped in good information. Yeah. So I, I talk about this a lot when we talk about hiring coaches and mentors, right? So there are so many people out there that are social media influencers that pretend to be coaches. Please, God, don't listen to them. Uh, if you've never, you can only teach what you've done. And if you're looking for somebody to put information in your head, you better be damn sure that they've done something along the lines of what you're trying to do successfully so that they can help you make successful decisions. Right. So you got to vet people, you got to vet books. Um, and yes, sometimes part of it will be good and part of it will be bad and that's okay. Um, but that gets back to your own filter, right? If your filter isn't right, then it's going to accept or reject the wrong information. It also gets back to the coaching and mentoring. I hate to say this, but, uh, again and again and again, but find somebody who's been successful at doing what you want to do. And by the way, for your audience, there are three types of coaches. You ever heard this? Go ahead. There is a technical coach. In other words, if you're running a solar panel installation company and you're trying to figure out how to put solar panels on the roof of a high rise, I cannot help you. That is a technical person. That's a technical coach that can come in and go, you need to do this, 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 pull these permits, do this. That's a technical coach. There is a relational coach. This is someone who is going to help you with your mindset. You can do it, you know, you got to get over your personal issues yourself. And this mindset coaches are important. And then there is a tactical coach and a tactical coach is somebody who comes into your business that, and I'm a tactical coach, by the way, it doesn't matter what you do because I'm probably never going to walk on a job site. I don't have to, I don't have to walk into your restaurant. I don't have, I can look at your P and L's and do P and L analysis with you and show you how to run the business end of what you do from historical P and L analysis to reverse engineering goal setting to, creating better sales and sales processes and sales tracking systems. That's tactical. Most coaches can do one or two. Very few can do all three. So pick the right coach for what it is you're trying to accomplish and then let them come in and show you how to do what you want to do, but make sure you vet them first. Anybody, somebody tells me that they're a certified coach. I laugh. What did you take a 20 hour course online? <laughs> I, I, I looked into a coaching, uh, group you know they teach you how to become a business coach and uh most mm -hmm. of the information in there is like teaching people who have never owned a business how to become a business coach mm -hmm. and i'm like yeah this is not i had one on my linkedin page hit me yesterday we help entrepreneurs scale and profit and get ready to sell their company and i can help you blah 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 blah, blah and i'm gonna do all these amazing things for you and i looked up her background she was a real estate agent 60 days ago <laughs> <laughs> she's, she's, and now she owns a franchise of a coaching say company. She might be in that. I'm sorry, but you're not qualified. <laughs> she might be in the program that I was looking into. That's one of the reasons I got out because everything was templated. <laughs> it's like, you just, you know, take our website where you can white yeah. label our book that I wrote. You can do this and this and this, and then mm -hmm. say you're a business coach. And I'm like, I don't want any part of this. Yep. Um, I can be a life coach for $49. I can get my certificate <laughs> online. <laughs> help you with your life. I just heard this morning, I was listening to, uh, have you read the book, um, who, not how? No, I haven't it's heard a, that. It's one. a really good book. It's about, you don't need to know how to do stuff in your business. You need to know who, who can do it for you, like how to find talent basically. Mm -hmm. But he was talking there like there's 
if you've ever met a life coach, they're all broke. Like, because it doesn't, it just doesn't work. Like it's just not something, or they, or they, they start out as life coach and then transition to become a business coach. So. Yeah. Cause I was having so many problems with my life. I figured I would help you. Yeah. And they're always 21 years old too, by the way. <laughs> yeah. uh, what, what would you say is the single biggest mindset hack or, you know, something about mindset that people need to understand? Too many entrepreneurs, business owners think that they have to have all the answers. They think they have to be the smartest person in the room. They think that they shouldn't take people's advice because it will make them look weak in the eyes of their employees or their customers. And that is why they fail. You need to be smart enough to understand that if you've never done it successfully, you don't know what you're doing, that you need to hire people that are better at doing it than you are. And you need to be willing to take advice from anybody that can give you a quality piece of advice, right? I have an assistant that worked for me and it was maybe six months ago and she came to me and she said, uh, listen, I'm just going to, and this is my assistant, right? I've built half a billion dollars worth of companies. And she said, you are too short in your emails. You're scaring people and people don't even want to respond to you because of, the, and I'm like, that's just cause I'm ADHD. <laughs> like, I don't, I, I don't like get into your feelings. I'm just like, do this, 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 like, I don't even say hi, right. Bill. It's just boom, boom, boom. She said, you need to quit doing that or people aren't going to want to work for you. And I was like, damn it. She's right. And so I have to literally physically think about what I'm doing when I'm responding to people in email so that I don't sound like a jerk. And it's not intentional. I'm just, you know, I'm at 30,000 feet moving hundred miles an hour, like boom, 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 boom. But other people can't deal with that. So, uh, understand you don't know what you're doing. You don't need to have all the answers. You can take advice from other people. You will be much better off and much smarter and you'll go much farther. Yeah, that's a, that's a great, I had an, I had a, my office manager, similar scenario. I was kind of on a kick of finding the perfect software, which we know doesn't exist, but I was trying multiple pieces of software and finally she came and said, you're not allowed to try out another piece of software <laughs> until we get some of this stuff figured out. I'm like, hear you loud and clear, hear you loud and clear. Got it. So it's important to have people like that in your life. hundred percent. Yep. Well, Brian, how can people find out about, uh, your services, your books, you know, <clears throat> the services that you offer more information about you? What's, what's the best way for them to do that? Easy. So my website is brianwillmedia.com brianwillmedia.com and my books, my podcasts, my blogs, my newsletters, my coaching programs, everything is on there. brianwillmedia.com. Awesome. And we'll put, we'll have some links in the show notes as well. Uh, I do like to ask this question and you kind of mentioned a few, what's a, what's a current book that you're reading or one that you recommend? Uh, I actually just picked up Dan Martell's book, buy back That's your time. Um, so I haven't cracked it yet. Uh, but it's sitting on my dining room table as we speak. So it's next up. That, that's an actually a really, really good book. I love that one. Um, well, again, Brian, thanks so much for being on the, uh, on the podcast. I know the listeners are going to walk away with a ton of information. I got a half a page full of notes here for myself. So I appreciate all of the value and information guys. If you want to hear uh, the, any of the other episodes that I've done, you know where to find me on the social media, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. You can just search for the hammer and grind podcast. And remember until next time, profit is not a dirty word.